Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. Again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Well, my name is Austin Vondercheck, um, but you can call me the intermission uh, today. So if you need to get coffee or use the restroom, you got about 15 minutes uh, before the choir and the worship team will be back up today. Uh, if you are just joining us, it's your first Sunday here with us, online or in person, uh, for one, welcome. It's great to have you at Rosewood. And, uh, but also, we are in a series called Unforgettable Christmas, and we're really finishing our series today. And throughout this series, over the last three weeks, including today, we are going to be looking at uh, secondary characters in the Unforgettable Christmas story, forgettable characters, whether it's forgettable that we kind of forget that they're even there, or forgettable because their importance has been kind of lost over time. And today, we are going to continue in that, and, um, you know, in the process over the last, you know, month or so, um, we've kind of really fiddled with the nativity scene, right? Like we've, the, the traditional nativity scene and the elements of it, we've kind of messed with it a little bit. Uh, one of you texted me after service last week and you said, sorry about my Christmas card. And I looked at the Christmas card and it had the Magi on it and it was all like traditional Magi look, which we had just broken down and destroyed uh, that Sunday. And so, you know, like we just kind of, we're, we're messing with it a little bit and I think that's good. And, uh, but also, I know that you don't really care that much. You're going to keep up with your nativity visuals, the imagination that we apply to it, and so am I. Because I don't think it, you know, we don't lose the bigger message of Christmas, uh, even with some of these details about what that stable would have looked like uh, as we embellish it a little bit. There's, there's no doubt that our view of Christmas from our perspective is pleasant and peaceful. It was always a calm night when we imagine it. However, from heaven... The first Christmas was anything but calm and peaceful. From heaven, the first Christmas was marked by terror, conflict, and violence. Not by peace. It was war. Here's what John says through the inspiration of God in Revelation 12 as he describes God's perspective that Christmas morning. He says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment who was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. 
and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Um, Revelation should have like a, you should turn the page in your Bible to Revelation, and there should be a red stamp that says handle with care. There's a lot of imagery. In fact, just what we looked at here, there is so much imagery that's embedded in 2,000 years of history. However, two of the most important characters in that story are still kind of intuitive and, and relevant for today, which is that the red dragon is Satan and that the child that is born is Jesus. But what played out in heaven, in, as recorded in, in Revelation 12, was reflected on earth during the events surrounding Jesus' birth. Now, like I said, last week we looked at the story of the Magi, or the wise men who came seeking Jesus. And uh, uh, they come seeking this king of the Jews. They hear that the king has been born, and so they go to the place where you might expect a king to be born. A palace, right? Now, Jesus isn't there, but they do still find a king. They find Herod. And Herod was given the designation king of the Jews. Now, just to kind of give you an understanding of who they ran into when they came to this palace, saying they were seeking the king of the Jews who had just been born and finding Herod. Herod was a madman. He was a lunatic. And those are not my words. Those are the, the historical words used by Roman scribes accounting the time. Their own, the, the, his own side described him as a madman and a lunatic. Here's one story. There's chance that uh, I'm sure some of you have heard this story before, but it's true and it's accounted by multiple authors, which is that uh, Herod, uh, though completely insane, and at the end of his life being physically, he had physical ailments that caused him to be in constant pain, uh, that as he approached the end of his life, he had, despite all of that, the self-awareness to know that nobody liked him. Nobody liked him. And he knew that when he died, no one was going to miss him. And so he had a bunch of prominent, important, well-loved people within his community rounded up, arrested, and held. And then he gave his army orders that the day he died, that all of these people should be killed. Because then someone will cry the day he dies. That's Herod. And that's the man that the Magi discover when they show up at the palace now, uh, the, as we read last week, you know, Herod tricks the magi, or tries to trick the magi, rather. He says, hey, go find this child. Here's what the, you know, here's what the, the, the Jewish scribes have said, where in the, the Pharisees have said where he should be. And so uh, they, they go to Bethlehem, and he says, once you find this child, make sure to come back and let me know so I can worship. But of course, that's a lie. He wants to kill him. Thankfully, God steps in and warns the magi about this plan that they're unwittingly a part of, and they don't go back to Herod. They go back to their home after they visit Jesus, and understandably, uh, Herod's upset. And this is the result, and listen for the ways that earth reflected the divine realm from a revelation. It says, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. 
Jesus was born into a war zone. He was born into a conflict between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. Herod was a man who used violence to try to control other people because he himself was, in fact, a terribly fearful, paranoid man. And this is still the case today. This isn't just Herod. This is, this is any of us. This could be any of us. There are people all the time who try to control other people through fear because they themselves are terrified of losing control. When you find someone or you encounter someone who tries to control you with fear, ask the question, what is this person so afraid of? For Herod, it was a child. Which is interesting, a child? I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Even if they teamed up, I'm just saying, not saying it would happen, but even if they teamed up, I could take them. I could. You know what? Throw a five-year-old into it. I could still take him. I wouldn't do that, but if. Just saying. Herod's afraid. And he's got an army. Herod's got an army. And he is afraid of a child. Why? Well, well why? Let's, let's, return for, let's return to heaven for a moment. This picture that we already read about. Because it's not just Herod who's afraid of this child. Again, Herod is this unwitting ally or representative of Satan. It's actually Satan who is afraid. It's the, he, he seeks to devour this child because this child is a threat to him. Because the child was born not just to do what no person had ever done before, but to undo all that anyone had ever done before him. And and this child was the Messiah who was born to die in order to strike the final blow against Satan. And now today we just wait for him to bleed out. Merry Christmas. (laughs) The account of of Matthew and, and Revelation just aren't this piano top nativity scene that so many of us have, that we have in our mind. They're not showing us Christmas with a bow on top and tinsel and pretty paper or or anything like that. They're showing us the real deal. They're showing us what things really looked like. And and, and, and we we see in the reality of Christmas, we see a war between good and evil. We see a a mad king who kills innocent people out of fear. And we see Jesus and his parents trying to escape this to the point where they seek asylum as immigrants in another country. They're not trying to give us this fake Christmas. They are actually trying to give us something far better. Something that if in the fake version of Christmas, the pretty peaceful version of Christmas, it's something that we actually, actually miss. That in the midst of the chaos and the fear and the violence and the death and the judgment is actually hope. That in the midst of all of this, the greater story, the meta story over all of these things happening on heaven and on earth is hope. Now here's how Matthew begins and makes this turn towards a message of hope. And it's short, it's quick, it's easy to miss. It's in verse 19. He says, after Herod died. Eventually Herod did die. He died a very slow and painful death. And after he died, 
his kingdom was split up into three parts. And one of his, brother, or one of his three sons uh, oversaw these three portions of his kingdom. And eventually, each of those sons died as well. And after they died, the Roman Empire collapsed. And never again would a Herod sit on the throne. But there, here's the, the, the deeper meaning, and I want to leave you with this. As Jesus faced the end of his life, not during a time when he was popular, that time had come long before. At one point, Jesus was so popular that literally 5,000 people wandered after him listening to his story and forgot to pack a lunch. They were so interested in hearing what Jesus had to say that the rest of the world just they couldn't even think about it. And Jesus said these next words, which we'll, we'll read in a second, but he said these words not during the height of his ministry career, but towards the end of it. And Jesus ended his ministry career in the same place he began with 12 followers. In terms of how we might measure success in a ministry, this was the lowest point of Jesus' ministry career, you could say. And in the midst of this, with only 12 people by his side having his back, he turns to them and says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell or the gates of death will not overcome it. Jesus was a builder. Herod was a builder too. Herod built beautiful buildings, wonders of the world in his time, and he built them to last. 2,000 years later, millions of people every year go to this part of the world, and not a single one of them asks, can you show me where Herod died? Can you show me where Herod is buried? Can you show me something Herod has built? They come to ask questions like, will you show me where Jesus was born? Can you show me where Jesus died? Can you show me where Jesus taught? Can you show me where, uh, where Jesus walked so that I can walk in his steps? Today, Herod and his empire are in ruins. And there are Christian churches in nearly every city, in every country, in the entire world. The capital of Herod's empire has become the capital of Christianity. Today, Herod's speeches are forgotten. And Jesus' words are translated into 1,200 languages. Today, Herod's entire life is a forgettable footnote in the unforgettable story of Christmas. And in Christmas, we don't just look backwards. We also look forward. We look forward to the day when Jesus will come again. And when that day comes, when he comes again and makes all things right, and makes evil and death and sin come undone, we will look back at today and the evil that we experience today and we will talk about that evil in the same way that we talk about Herod today. Forgotten, despised, shamed, and gone. And all of that is because the child that was born that Christmas morning 
would grow up and do exactly what he said he was going to do. That he would build his church. And nothing, 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 nothing was going to stop it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are true to your word. God, you said that nothing would stop your church. You were right. Today, we continue to, just at this very moment, God, millions and millions of people worldwide, brothers and sisters in Christ, raise their voices in worship, open your word, listen for your voice, offer prayers. Billions worldwide share in this identity. Those who are alive now and those who have come before us. All because you were true to your words. Words spoken over 12 individuals has become a movement worldwide. And yet all of this began with just a a child in a stable. God, thank you for the hope of Christmas for what it really means to us, that you have come near, that you love us, and that you will come again. God, you are our champion, our victor, and we love you. I pray, God, that in the midst of Christmas and now the last week leading up to Christmas, that you would give all of us a greater vision for what this time of the year is meant to be, that we wouldn't get so caught up in all of the stuff that we've got to do and the things we have to buy and people we have to see. But God, give us a vision of Christmas that has hope and that we can relish in that hope. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.